Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June, we're running our annual Radiothon, when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. You're listening to The Dogs Programme. And we started every week with that uh, fanfare for the common man because we are about the common good, the public good, the public school system. We're here to defend and to promote it. We have a website at www.adogs.info, which has just been made a little bit more interesting for you if you want to go and have a look at it. It's a bit easier, I think, to navigate your way through it. But um, we have a press release this week, 944. Uh, There's been a lot in the papers about the census and uh, the No Religion group that have been expanding at a very interesting rate. And uh, a lot of people are also interested in the relationship this has with the funding of private religious schools. And the dogs uh, would like to remind people that back in the 1960s, we always said that if you entangle religion with the state, then it's not only bad for the state, it's very bad for religion. And our predictions are coming true. Uh, Jeff is going to tell us about the census and where the dogs stand on this. Over to you, Jeff. Yeah, hi, folks. And the dogs press release this, this week from press release 944 is the census and religion. State aid has approved bad for religion. The dogs have always argued that public funding of religious schools is not only bad for the democratic state, it is also very bad for religion. The recent census result proved their point. The behaviour of religious schools and their quest for ever-increasing billions of dollars, I'll say it again, billions of dollars of taxpayer funds have turned many people away, not necessarily from spirituality, but certainly from organised religion. The greed, overindulgence and hypocrisy of elite religious schools have turned citizens, including their own students, away, not from the basic spiritual tenets of Christianity, but certainly from its institutionalised churches. There was a reason our ancestors, after hundreds of years of bloody religious wars, placed separation of religion and state in Section 116 of the Constitution. On June 28, Matthew Knott and Angus Thompson, writing in the Sydney Morning Herald, attracted more than 943 comments for their article, Abandoning God, Christianity Plummets as Non-Religious, Surges in Census. 44% of Australians identify as Christian, down from 61% a decade ago. The share of people ticking no religion in the box, grew from 22% in 2011 to 39% in 2021. The number of people in Australia who identify as Hindu surged by 55% over the past five years. Australia has become strikingly more godless over the past decade, with the latest census data showing the proportion of self-identified Christians dropping below 50% for the first time and soaring number of people describing themselves as non-religious. The first tranche of data from the 2021 census released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics on Tuesday shows that just 44% of Australians now identified as Christian, down from 52% five years earlier and 61% in 2011. When the first census was conducted in 1911, 96% of Australians listed as a form of Christianity as their religion. The proportion of Australians identifying as Catholic declined from 23 to 20% over the past five years, while self-identified Anglicans dropped from 13 to 10%. By contrast, the share of Australians identifying as non-religious has surged. 39% of Australians now identify as non-religious, up from 30% in 2016, and almost doubled the 22% of Australians who ticked the no-religion box a decade ago. In the mid-1960s, less than 1% of people in Australia identified as having no religion. Based on current trends, non-believers could overtake Christians as the biggest religious bloc in Australia by the time the next census is conducted in 2026. The move away from Christianity accelerated rapidly over the last decade uh, after previously being in a steady long-term decline. 
Sydney student Alexandra Wright, 24, exemplifies the national drift away from Christianity. As a child growing up in Sydney's eastern suburbs, Wright was raised in a devout Irish Catholic family whose members attended church every Sunday. Wright felt, felt so connected to her faith that she insisted on attending a Catholic high school, St Vincent's College, in Potts Point. By age 15, however, she began to have an inkling that religion was no longer for her. A few years later, she no longer identified as Catholic. When filling out last year's census, she chose no religion without hesitation. Wright said religion undoubtedly had a beautiful side, as seen in the comfort of her grandfather, the, the, the comfort her grandfather drew from the promise of an afterlife before he died. But she had seen a more neg negative side too. There is corruption in the church and the power tripping of priests, she said. Wright said her siblings and many friends had moved away from religion as they grew up. It's this generation, she said. We all grew up with religion, but when you start living your life, you realise you don't identify with it. The church's socially conservative teachings on same-sex marriage and sex before wedlock seem outdated to most young people today, she said. The census results show that some non-Christian religions are growing in strength, even as they continue to make up a small share of the national population. The number of people who identified as Hindu in the census surged by 55% over the past five years, reflecting an influx of migrants from countries such as India and Nepal. Around 684,000 people in Australia, or 2.7% of the population, identify with Hinduism. Islam's share of the national population has grown to 3.2%, up from 2.6% in 2016. Around 813,000 people in Australia identify with Islam. Australian statistician David Gruen said the religion question holds a special place in the census because it is one of the few topics that has featured in all 18 censuses and is the only question that is voluntary. Despite being voluntary, the proportion of people answering the question rose from 91% in 2016 to 93% in 2021. The following was not untypical of the more than 943 comments. No surprise there. With the appalling behaviour of some church people and the attempt to cover it up by churches, trust was destroyed. Then these same morally compromised people try to tell others how to lead their lives. Sorry, you blew it. Back to you. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. That was a very interesting um, sidelight on, on state aid to private schools. It's had uh, effects that perhaps the religious people who were so interested in their dollars um, didn't quite expect. But... Um, we're going to have a bit of a break now and uh, we'll come back to go to Sydney and uh, have a look at what's happening there with the teachers. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not... You know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2022. 3CR. Keep community strong. Well, you're listening to The Dog Still, I hope, and we're going to be emphasising our teachers this hour that we've got with you because our public school teachers have been very hard-worked and they haven't been given that much pay. So up in New South Wales, they are very unhappy. So unhappy are not only they, but the so-called private school teachers that they banded together last week and they went on strike. Now, Angelo Gavrilatis, who is the firebrand and the uh, president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, 
has also written a very interesting article. When you fail teachers, you fail children. So Bridget is going to tell us about this. Over to you, Bridget. Thanks, Jean. So this is uh, all of Angelo's words here. Two years ago, New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell said the teacher shortages in New South Wales were so bad they were keeping her awake at night. If that was her response then, she must hardly be sleeping a wink right now. Acute shortages of teachers are having a devastating impact on children across New South Wales. Almost 2,400 permanent teaching positions were vacant in public schools in February and casual teachers have become almost impossible to find. As a result, secondary students are missing up to half of their lessons in a day, stuck in the playground or library with only minimal supervision. Primary teachers report having 40 children in their class for 10 days in a row or standing in corridors trying to teach multiple classes at once. The shortages are impacting on the motivation and discipline of students and exacerbating mental health and behaviour issues. This shouldn't come as a surprise. What kind of message are we sending to our children when we can't even guarantee that there will be a teacher in their classroom every day? Dismissing the shortages as simply a short-term problem caused by winter flu and COVID reflects the spin and denial to which the New South Wales government resorts on a, day, on a daily basis. It is a long-term workforce crisis and the intransigence of both the New South Wales government and Catholic employers in the face of it has it forced our unions to call a 24-hour strike on June 30. Teachers in government and non-government schools will stop work and rally together for only the second time in the long history of education in New South Wales. The shortages are increasing the already unsustainable workloads of teachers whose average working hours exceed 60 per week. A quarter of public secondary teachers are forced to teach subjects for which they have no university qualifications. We are in serious danger of burning out a generation of teachers lost through overwork and disenchantment with the way their focus is constantly taken from their students to a mind-numbing amount of administration and compliance work. They also see a government in denial, unwilling to stand up for the profession or address the root causes of the shortages, the uncompetitive salaries and crippling workloads that are turning people away from teaching. The minister freely admits teachers are drowning in paperwork, but they then oversees a strategy that Department of Education reports show didn't save teachers a single hour in 2021. The government's one-size-fits-all pay cap will deliver teachers' salaries increases far below inflation at the same time as its own internal research warns. On average, teacher pay has been falling relative to pay in other professions since the late 1980s, and this makes it a less attractive profession for high-achieving students. Failing to act on this workforce crisis will have profound consequences for New South Wales long into the future. Catholic Schools New South Wales recently warned the retirement of baby boomer teachers and an insufficient supply of graduates to replace them will lead to a 15% shortfall in their workforce by 2030. In the public system, a minimum of 20% more teachers will be needed in the next decade just to cope with rising enrolments. Right now, we have to make it clear to our politicians that failing to act is failing our children. If we truly want every child to get a great education, we have to invest more in the teachers by significantly increasing their salaries and reducing their workloads so they can focus more on student learning. That is an investment in our future that will pay off for our children and our country. Thanks, Jean. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and let's uh, hear Angelo himself. Colleagues, tomorrow, June 30, we will make history. One profession, one voice. We will rally, we will march. We will march for our students, we'll march for our profession. For when the government refuses to act and denies the facts, we are left with no alternative but to act. Our most recent meeting with the government has not produced any breakthrough. They're failing to move on salaries and they're failing to even respond to the urgent need to address your workload, your crippling workload. This is not sustainable. We have a profession in crisis and we, the profession as a whole, has a responsibility to defend our profession in order to deliver for our students. Tomorrow we'll take action. Tomorrow we must be too loud to ignore. I'm looking forward to standing shoulder to shoulder with you in Macquarie Street and virtually right across the state. 
one profession, one voice, all out. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, and that was the voice of Angelo Gabrielatis from New South Wales, uh, talking about their strike on the 30th of June last. But um, up there in New South Wales, they've got a very good um, bloke who does a lot of research called Mr Norris. And Mr Norris, together with Trevor Cobald, has been looking at all of the overfunding of the wealthy and not so wealthy private schools in New South Wales. Dale is going to tell us about the report in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, this is the interesting thing. In the past, when the dogs did these figures, they couldn't get them into the newspapers. But now that the Teachers Federation and the parents groups and the Save Our Schools groups are doing it, we are getting these figures coming out. And of course, the figures are based on the My School website, which was set up by Ms Gillard, one of the best things she ever did for accountability for public money in Australia. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this is an article by Lucy Carroll and Daniela White titled Hundreds of New South Wales Private Schools Overfunded by Almost $100 Million Last Year. Research Finds. So New South Wales overfunded more than 200 private schools by almost $100 million last year after dozens were given hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra state government money above what they were due. Almost the total funding, the total figure actually, uh, if you look elsewhere, was $850 million. But um, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald has latched on to the $100 million given to the really wealthy schools. Back to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, almost 30 private schools were overpaid by more than a million last each last year, with Barker College, William Clark College, Oak Hill College, Knox Grammar and Pimble Ladies College topping the list of schools that received more than the schooling resource standard, the SRS, determined that they needed. A new report by education economist Adam Roris, commissioned by the New South Wales Teachers Federation, analysed state government funding to 367 private schools across the state. It found that 238 independent schools were overpaid by a total of $96 million in 2021, and that it would take 20 years for the state government to end its overfunding at the current rate. This overfunding of private schools was delivered at the same time as New South Wales public schools were underfunded by more than 10% below their required minimum SRS level of funding, the report said. New South Wales overfunded some of the wealthiest independent schools in Australia by more than a million dollars each in 2021. But Association of Independent Schools Chief Executive Jeff Newcomb said the report failed to mention that 121 independent schools were underfunded during the same period. The SRS, which was introduced under the under Gonski reforms, calculates how much the government's government support schools are entitled to when parents' incomes are accounted for. The schools identified as overpaid in the report received above the state government's nominated 20% share of the SRS. Of the overfunded schools, 28 received a million or more than their New South Wales SRS entitlement, while a further 43 were given between 500,000 and 1 million in extra funding. Under a new funding model introduced in 2019, overfunded independent schools were be gradually transitioned down to the SRS standard by 2029. Those which are receiving below the SRS entitlement will be brought up to standard by 2023. 80% of an independent school's SRS entitlement is funded by the Commonwealth and the remaining 20% by the state government. The report found that the New South Wales government's overfunding of private schools had gone down by 5% from $100 million in 2020 to $96 million in 2021. But it said if that slow rate continued, it would take 20 years for the state government to end its overfunding of private schools. Chief Executive of think tank the Blueprint Institute, David Cross, said the state government must ensure it brings 
private school funding down to 20% of the SRS by 2029. It's critical that the government meets this commitment. Education is the key to ensuring equity of opportunity. It is why we spend billions of taxpayer dollars on it each year. Funding models must seek to eliminate equity gaps, not widen them. Roris said that while private schools were overpaid and running surpluses each year, public schools were understaffed with students in demountables and some classrooms without air conditioning. It's not justifiable. We provide so much funding to private schools. Newcomb said the funding discrepancies had been caused by the recent funding model change. All school sectors accept this change and we're now in a transition period, which will bring all schools to their new funding levels by 2029, he said. That's ridiculous that the independent schools have never accepted the funding change. Uh, they, they've demanded the transition so that they get more and more and more. And 2029 is a long way away, isn't it? Exactly. And that's, you know, a whole rotation of students um, that are still going to be underfunded. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilatis said the report showed the profound inequity of the state government's school funding arrangements. This funding inequity is making it harder to ensure every child gets the education they need. The most overfunded schools are the ones who need the money the least. A spokesperson for the New South Wales Department of Education and said that New South Wales was the first jurisdiction to sign up to needs-based, sector-blind and remains committed to this funding model. As detailed in the current school funding agreement signed in 2018, the state is transitioning funding to non-government schools in New South Wales at 20% of their SRS by 2029. In 2021, the New South Wales government contribution to non-government schools was 22.74%, down from 25.29% in 2018, the spokesperson said. There's a grave injustice in the way the funding is being directed by both states and the Commonwealth. Economist Trevor Cobold, who convenes the Save Our Schools Public Education Advocacy Group, said public schools are vastly underfunded and urged governments to speed up how quickly overpayments to private schools are wound back. There is grave injustice in the way the funding is being directed by both the states and the Commonwealth. This has to change now rather than letting it go for the rest of the decade. The head of Barker College, Philip Heath, said the school was funding funded according to the regulations established by governments, of course. And there's many, many uh, comments that came after this article. Uh, data said these adjustments are just tinkering. How can you realistically assess a school's resources on the basis of a parent's taxable income, which is not re necessarily a reflection of their wealth? And why are private schools considered charities allowing uh, tax-exempt donations? The situation in public schools highlights these iniquities. Uh, the empty Am says the level of inequality between private schools and state schools has become increasingly blatant. Why, why do some kids have to sit outside on asphalt playing grounds for morning assembly and others sit in chairs in a comfy assembly hall? There are obviously many other discrepancies in resources once the day begin. And parents play, pay high prices also for their kids to attend private schools because of these inequalities. The education system and funding allocations needs a realistic view and realignment of funding to what it should be in a society that claims equal education for all. Note also that teachers in private schools are paid more than that low level wage of teachers in New South Wales state schools. Why there is now an increase which is why there's now an increasing teacher shortage um, in these schools as teachers leave for better paid jobs. Uh, discrepancy said, I wouldn't be surprised if the overfunding is propping up some extravagant school building programs. The cost of labour, materials and fuel have all increased significantly, interest rates are on the rise and school builders may have their own financial issues. The cost of school construction work would have to have been increased significantly. Well, the, the problem with that discrepancy is that uh, there's actually no capital funding allocated for public schools at all. Yes, that's right. The private schools get 
capital funding from the Commonwealth Government. Yeah. And uh, they get interest payments too uh, from the state government, I believe. But um, the, the state schools are just left begging when it comes to capital improvements uh, and the money from the Commonwealth. It's, it's pretty bad, really. It mm. is, it is. And, you know, it goes on. People are talking more and more like they're members of the dogs. Take them over, take it back, stop the funding. It's, you know, it's becoming what sounds like an echo chamber, but unfortunately the uh, powers that be aren't hearing any of it. Back to you, Jean. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Uh, there were quite a few, um, quite a few uh, very interesting comments. Um, the dogs' comment on all of this is that they talk about uh, students being equal. I think it's time we talked about schools being equal, and the schools should all be equally required to uh, employ all teachers, whatever their background or religious affiliation. And uh, they should also be required to enrol all students within a certain geographical area in the way state schools do. And as well as that, we should perhaps have a look at all of the different schools and where they're geographically placed in Australia so that we can do away with the unnecessary, unnecessary duplication and the unnecessary division of our children into social and religious and other uh, criteria. But uh, that is the dog's position on all of this. The problem is, of course, that once you give one penny to private schools who are interested in the private good, not the public good, you're going to have these problems. And we've always said that. Uh, the needs policies ever since the 1970s have been gamed because we're dealing with wealthy people and wealthy organisations that know how to game the system, whatever the system may be. But... Um, We'll have a bit of a break and we're coming back to hear from Matt. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very, you know, important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life. But how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program and uh, we've been talking about the teachers, uh, public school teachers, who've done a remarkable job for a century, more than a century, in promoting and in defending our public schools and, of course, keeping them afloat. And didn't they keep them afloat during the pandemic? But um, they have a vision about what public education should be like. And Maddie is going to tell us about the Federation, the New South Wales Federation vision of ensuring that we have a high-quality public education. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much. Uh, delegates have endorsed a plan for senior officers to develop a campaign to build support for a new bilateral agreement, which will include enough funding to ensure all public schools are funded at 100% of the schooling resource standard. The campaign plan will include the production of material and the use of various media platforms as part of a broader education campaign to support engagement of the membership and wider community. It is to be presented in August to the Executive Council. President Angelo Gavrilados said that along with securing the recurrent funding we need, Federation's efforts must include securing the funding needed for children to be educated in modern, well-equipped classrooms. He says a key focus on the union in the lead up to the state election 2023 must be securing the funding we need through policy commitments by the major parties. 
He also said, the fact that all New South Wales public schools are currently resourced at around 88% of the SRS is to be condemned and is an indictment on the former coalition government in Canberra and its counterpart in New South Wales, who agreed to underfunding public schools in the current bilateral agreement. Effectively, this means one in eight public school students go without funding. If New South Wales public schools were resourced at the full SRS this year, an additional $2 billion would be invested in the education of our children. The funding shortfall between 2020 to 2023 is a staggering $8 billion. The next bilateral funding agreement between New South Wales and the Commonwealth, due to, the negotiated, due to be negotiated in the next 12 months, must include a joint commitment to have all public schools achieve 100% of the SRS by its conclusion. The agreement must also remove the loophole, which allows the New South Wales government to artificially inflate its SRS contribution by 4% by including capital depreciation costs along with the costs of NESA. These costs are applied only to public schools and not private schools, and it is a travesty that the former coalition government allowed their inclusion in the current bilateral agreement. New South Wales public schools are looking out on $635 million this year due to this loophole and more than $3.5 billion over the life of the current bilateral agreement. Incredibly, despite its greater revenue raising capacity, the Commonwealth has not contributed a single dollar in capital funding for New South Wales public schools since 2017. By contrast, private schools have access to a national capital fund worth $1.9 billion over a decade. In addition to this federal government capital funding, private schools across New South Wales have accessed more than $514 million as part of the state government's building grants assistance scheme for non-government schools between the 2017 to 18 and 2021 to 22 financial years. Given the fact that public schools enrol two thirds of students and enrolments in New South Wales public schools are predicted to increase by 25% within the next two decades, which includes an increase of students with additional learning needs and disabilities, a far greater capital commitment will be required by the Commonwealth and New South Wales governments to public schools. An urgent investment is required not only to cater for growing enrolments, but to rebuild aging schools and ensure all classrooms and facilities are of an appropriate standard for 21st century teaching and learning. Delegates also condemned the New South Wales government's over-reliance on demountable buildings to deal with rising enrolment. Demountable numbers increased by 45% between 2014 and 2020, and 12% of all classrooms in 2020 were demountable buildings. Delegates recommended that Federation's efforts must include securing the capital funding required for children to access a high-quality education in modern, well-equipped classrooms. Conference also endorsed the preparation of a state election 2023 campaign kit to assist in lobbying efforts of all LNP, ALP, New South Wales Greens and SFF members of state parliament and prospective major and minor party state election candidates. The campaign kit will assist in prosecuting the arguments necessary to highlight the benefits of recurrent and capital funding investment for public school students, the teaching profession, and the community as a whole. Well, thank you very much. There you have um, uh, very much a teacher organisation in election mode as they all were before our last um, federal election. And although the Labor Party didn't make uh, educational election issue, it was there. It was definitely there. And uh, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party should take note. But all Mr Dutton, of course, can do is say that in the next election, he's going to make the curriculum and the hijacking of the curriculum by the unions and activists are uh, uh, an issue. Well, Mr Dutton, the real issue is the funding of our public schools and the parents and teachers, two thirds of Australians, 
are not happy. And the New South Wales Teachers Federation delegates and um, whatever's going on up there, and also down here in Victoria, there's uh, unrest. The politicians who are going into state elections at the end of this year and early in next year should take note. Thank you very much, um, Maddie. But now we'll have a bit of a break and then we'll be off to America. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR. You're listening still, I hope, to the Dogs Program, and we're going to take you over to America with our resident expert, Jeff. Over to you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jean. Uh, this one's again from our wonderful blogger over in West, in, in the, the other side of the Pacific, Diana Ravitch, who uh, in America keeps tabs on public schools and um, the plight of them, same as we do. So we, we celebrate Diane Ravitch and her fabulous blog. Now, this one's about uh, Carol Burris, who wrote this, and she's the Executive Director of the Network for Public Education. She celebrates the successful effort to reform the Federal Charter Schools Program, despite the multi-million dollar campaign of the Charter Lobby. She says, Dear friends, since 2019, the Network for Public Education has worked to stop the waste, profiteering and fraud in the Federal Charter Schools Program. Just an aside, charter schools, if you don't know, if you haven't heard this before, charter schools are the American type of uh, private school. Um, Our two reports, Sleep at the Wheel 1 and 2, caught the attention of the press and members of Congress. We secured allies in our fight as we fought the funding of segregation academies in North Carolina. We met with congressional staff members in the department itself. And when the draft regulations came out, we worked nonstop for weeks to write our our comments explain the proposed regulations to others, provide tailored model comments, and work with our allies to push the regulations over the finish line. On 1st of July, those efforts paid off. The department received 26,580 comments on the proposed regulations, most of which were generated from letter writing campaigns. Of all the comments, 5,770 were unique. According to the department, the majority of comments expressed general support for the regulations and the priorities. When our allies did our job. Here are the significant gains. The department will make it difficult or impossible for charters run by for-profits to get grants. If an applicant has or will have a contract with a for-profit management company or a non-profit management organisation operated by or on behalf of a for-profit entity like academia, um, they must provide extensive information, including a copy or description of the contract, personnel reporting, possible related party transactions and real estate contracts. The state entity that awards the grant must publish the for-profit management contract between the awardee and the school. Most importantly, the applicant must ensure that the for-profit management company does not exercise full or substantial control over the charter school, thereby barring any charter school operated by a for-profit with a sweeps contract from obtaining CSP funds. There will be a greater transparency and accountability for charter schools, state entities and CMOs that apply for grants. Transparency gains include public hearings, comparative demographic information, the name of all awardee schools and their peer-reviewed applications. Schools must publish information on their websites that include fees, uniforms, transportation plans and if they provide free lunch. Accountability gains include better supervision by the state entities of the school's awarded grants, including in-depth descriptions of how they will review applications, the peer review process they will use, and how they will select grantees for in-depth monitoring. There are new restrictions on how unauthorised schools can receive funds. Regulations to stop white flight charters from receiving CSP funding and ensure the charter is needed in the community. The final regulations are good, but not as strong as initially proposed. The community impact analysis is now called a needs analysis. That analysis must include evidence of a community desire for the school, the school's enrolment projection, a comparison of the demographics of the school with the area where the students are likely to be drawn from, the projected impact of the school on racial and socioeconomic district diversity, and an assurance that the school will not undermine local desegregation efforts. There are exceptions for themed schools and schools in racially isolated neighbourhoods. Making progress on holding charters accountable and reducing waste, fraud and profiteering is an extraordinarily difficult task. The goal of the charter lobby is to create as many charters as possible, make schools a marketplace 
and eventually overtake our democratically governed schools. We have a long way to go in stopping that, but these regulations are an important first step. Um, so we really thank Diana Ravitch for bringing this to our attention because in America, they're, they're moving away from just handing out large grab bags of cash to private schools and they're into regulating any school that wants to take government money. And that is a step that the dogs would seriously like to see in Australia. Um, but anyway, back to you, uh, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for fixing us up, finding out what's going on over, over the other side of the Pacific but um, and further up, indeed. But uh, we're going to have a little bit of the music now and then we're going to come back to the best part of our program, our great state school, and it's going to be one in countryside Victoria. Want to defend government schools? We are the dogs, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment 
to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school for this week is Bright P to 12 College. Congratulations, Bright College. Bright P to 12 College is a public school situated in Bright, Victoria, Australia. It has approximately 595 students and 60 staff. The principal is Jean Ollie, and the college council president is Peter Mack. The original school building was constructed in 1876. And I am going to give you a staff profile since we are talking about how important teachers are this week. And this is Jennifer Young, and it's written in her words. So her roles and responsibilities at Peter 12. I am a secondary mathematics and science teacher. In 2015, I am teaching year seven maths and science, year eight science, year nine science, and year 11 general mathematics. I am also the year level coordinator for year seven students, which involves looking after the well-being and particular academic needs of students in the year seven cohort. I work closely with the other teachers of year seven students to ensure that information about our students is shared and their learning needs are met. I also look after the transition of students from year six into year seven. And this role involves working with local schools within our cluster as well as primary students from Bright P to 12 College to make the transition to secondary school education as smooth as possible. Planning information evenings and school transition days are all part of this exciting role. And then Jennifer is asked, where did you go to school? She answers, I grew up in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales and attended Meriwa Central School before our family moved to Yapoon on the Capricorn Coast in Queensland and I attended Yapoon Primary School. I completed my secondary studies at Rockhampton Girls Grammar School. Um, Then Jennifer is asked, what is your 60-second life story? I attended university in Rockhampton studying biological laboratory techniques before moving to Brisbane and working as a lab tech studying uterine cancers at Queensland University. I studied a postgraduate in biotechnology through Queensland University of Technology and then started work as a research scientist studying immunology, in particular HIV and hepatitis for AGEN Biomedical. Married my childhood sweetheart, Ian, in 1988 and in 1994, our first daughter was born. In 1995, we moved to Bright and I studied Bachelor of Science, Wine Science, through Charles Sturt University. 
After three more children, own a building and working as an integration aide at Bright Peter 12 College, I completed a postgraduate degree in education through Queensland University of Technology and was employed as a teacher at Bright Peter 12. I've worked with prep students, students at the dinner playing campus and as a year five, six teacher. I've since completed a professional certificate in education, special education, through Melbourne University and intend to finish my master's in education in the next few years. Even though I love teaching in the primary school, I enjoy working with adolescents and it is particularly rewarding to share my love of science with young adults in the hope that they too can pursue a career in such an enriching field of study. Then Jennifer was asked, what inspires you within your role at Peter 12? Jennifer answers, I really enjoy watching the way that students progress through our school and become wonderful young adults. I've known many of our current, current students since prep and the transformation from littlies with backpacks bigger than they are <laughs> to young adults driving to school is just amazing. I find the caring way that the staff interact with students and the way that the students are at the centre of everything that we do incredibly inspiring. Our school has a very calm and friendly atmosphere and this makes it a great environment to belong to. Witnessing the growth of students from year six into their first year of secondary studies is hugely rewarding. And Jennifer is asked, what are your interests and passions outside of school? Jennifer answers, I enjoy the time I have to be with my family and spending time on our farm. We raise sheep, and I'm hoping that one day our farm may allow our family to be more self-sufficient. We have a small menagerie of animals, including a couple of Kelpies, a cat, rabbits, chooks, and a fish. I am slowly learning to say no <laughs> to new pets. I've recently taken up karate and I'm really enjoying the challenges that that brings, especially as I am extremely uncoordinated. I have a very patient sensei and I like reading and every holiday I make it a goal to read at least two novels. Jennifer is then asked, what is your vision for the future? I can see Bright Peter 12 College becoming a learning hub for our community. We already have the early learning center where lifelong learning commences, and then we can educate children through to the commencement of further studies at university or TAFE. Technology allows us to deliver programs that might be administered in centers a long way from Bright, but our students can access face-to-face -face learning from within our own community via the internet. I'm impressed with the continuing development of our VET and VCAL programs that are aimed at producing skilled and motivated young people that are ready to move effectively into the workforce or further training with confidence. And then Jennifer is asked, what is your favorite quote? Jennifer says, all I ask is a chance to prove money can't make me happy, which is from Spike Milligan. And Jennifer says, it says it all. And then she's asked, what is your favorite poem? And then Jennifer says, anything by Spike Milligan. Very silly, but sometimes very sad too. And Jennifer's personal anecdote or defining value statement is, maintain an open and positive attitude to new ideas. I can definitely agree with that. Aren't we lucky with our public school teachers? What yes, a lovely we. teacher. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to throw some facts and figures at you from the ACARA My School website. There are 583 pupils currently enrolled at the school. Their ICSIA value is above average at 1,049. Sorry, Grandma, you've... Wealthy farmers are keeping their children away from the country boarding schools and sending them to Bright, I reckon. That's my, my <laughs> um, In the upper quartile, there is 25% of the students. In the second quartile is 29% of students. In the third quartile, there is 30% of students. And in the lowest quartile, there is 16% of students. So really, it's a school with many advantaged students with 7% speaking a language other than English and 2% Indigenous students. Finances, um, the Australian government gives um, $1.6 million annually, the Victorian government $6.5 million. Um, 
$100,692 come from fees and parental contributions. And from other private contributions, there is $257,000. So it costs $14,000 per pupil to send a child to this school, which is pretty much average. Um, capital, there is $646,000 over three years. But um, results, 50% of the senior students went to university and 36% to TAFE, which are great statistics. And the rest are in employment. So NAPLAN are well above average or above in most areas. So Bright Peter 12 College, you are doing a fantastic job. Thank you to all of the teachers, the students and the community that choose to send their kids to this amazing school. Well, thank you, Maddie. What a lovely school. Uh, and how fortunate are those students to have such wonderful teachers out there in country Victoria. But um, it seems almost idyllic, doesn't it? But uh, uh, we are very fortunate to be able to bring you this information here on 3CR. And uh, we hope that you will come back to us next week at 12 noon. We remind our listeners that... Uh, there is still an opportunity to give money to the 3CR Radiothon, but we really do thank all of you who have dug very deep into your pockets in this year when we really do need an independent radio. If you want to find out more about the dogs, you can just go to www.adogs.info where you'll find a mine of information and this week you might even uh, find that it's easier to read because our person who does the website has uh, made it very nice for us. And we're very grateful to Luke Hodges for all his work. But um, we also thank everybody who has made the effort to help us today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Maddie. And above all, thank you, Dale. But from all of us today, it is bye for now. Mm-hmm.